Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, it is a short week. That means limited preparation for us, limited preparation for the 49ers, limited preparation for the New York Giants. Thursday night football, 49ers and the Giants. It is the technical home opener for the 49ers. I say technical because... Uh, we could, for all intents and purposes, consider what happened on Sunday in L.A. to be the home opener. That was crazy, Matt. I, you know, just looking at the stands at SoFi Stadium, I estimated way over 80 percent of 49ers fans. It might have been 85. Uh, do you think I'm right? I mean, in that win, it, it seemed that that was a bigger takeover of L.A. than, than we had ever seen before. Yeah, it, it certainly was up there with uh, week 18 and 2021. Um, I think that Ticketmaster or whoever was kind of handling the online sales predicted 65% 49ers fan. It was way over that. Um, and, um, you know, that sequence where Brandon Ayuk, um, I, I think he actually had hurt his shoulder on his first catch. And on his second catch, he was down for a little while. And um, that whole stadium was doing an Ayuk, Ayuk uh, chant. And it was like the Bosa chant from a few years ago. And it was loud. And um, I forget what play it was. I think it was the Debo Samuel touchdown. It was one of those, David, that the, the, you felt the press box shake a little bit. And um, that's, that's a visiting team causing the home press box to shake. Uh, that's how um eruptive the uh the fan base was so it was it was something to behold it was something special um i don't know uh whether any other team goes on the road and experiences something like that but um it was cool and it'll be interesting to see whether uh, you know as kind of ironic as it sounds whether the 49ers uh home atmosphere is as good as the away atmosphere was well you know last year i thought that the loudest 49ers game and i opined that it might have been the loudest 49ers game ever uh, as far as how loud their their crowd was was the one in Mexico City because they had over 90% of the crowd 
and the place had overhangs over the crowd. So the sound kind of reverberated and the 49ers obviously don't have that at Levi's stadium. So even if they have a crowd that's a hundred percent in their favor, it's not going to be as loud as someplace like SoFi or someplace like Mexico city, where you have almost all the fans and uh, they're semi indoor, not fully indoor, but there's some sort of roof above the stadium. That's why Seattle gets so loud because they have that parabolic shape of the rain overhang and it really just redirects sound down onto the field. So uh, it, it's tough for the 49ers to get a better home field advantage than they do at SoFi Stadium. But technically, this is going to be the home opener against the Giants just to set the table. 49ers favored by over 10 points in this game. And to me, the line seems right because uh, the Giants, their first game of the season was against the Dallas Cowboys, and they just got blown out of the water 40 to nothing. Last week, they played Arizona, and they fell behind by 20-plus points. They did come back to win. That was impressive from Daniel Jones and company. But the fact that they fell behind the Cardinals, who we know are are terrible this year, by 20-plus points, despite the fact there should have been some urgency there following the 40 to nothing loss to the Cowboys, I think that says a lot about where the Giants are right now. And, and that is in a place of struggle along the offensive line of scrimmage. The Cowboys, Matt, racked up 39 pressures against the Giants. Seven sacks, 39 pressures. That's more than I've ever seen at this level of football. And for a 49ers team that I think has rushed the passer well, but last week they weren't great in the secondary in the first half. So Matthew Stafford was able to play the quick game with impunity for quite some time until they finally figured it out in the second half. For a 49ers team that has been starved for pass rushing opportunities, like sack opportunities, this could be just the medicine that they need. A stat for you right here is that Daniel Jones has uh, the the third, uh, the second slowest uh, snap to release time of all NFL quarterbacks over the past two years. So he's a QB that is not a specialist in the quick game. He's a QB that does a lot of running, second most scramble attempts out of NFL quarterbacks of the past two years. And because of that, uh, you know, plays develop a little bit longer in the backfield for the Giants and that could be just what the 49ers need to start lighting up the sack column again. Yeah, that was certainly the uh, the take by Nick Bosa and some others is that um, Daniel Jones will, will hold on to the ball longer. And they anticipate him doing it uh, significantly longer than, than Matt Stafford was. I, I, I think there was a notion coming out of the, uh, the Rams game that um, something had happened to the 49ers defensive line that – all of a sudden, this vaunted line just had uh, no um, no pep and uh, wasn't uh, wasn't hitting home. And um, you know, to me, that wasn't the case. I mean, it was just a case of Matt Stafford dropping back, and there are usually five step drops. So we're talking, you know, just a couple of seconds here, planting that back foot, and then and then firing. I mean, he was very decisive on his throws. Um, there was no defensive line in the history of the NFL uh, game that would have disrupted him when he was in that rhythm. Now, obviously, uh, that 49ers had to do something to get him out of that rhythm to hold the ball a little longer. And that's what they started to do in the second half. But it was more about the coverage. Um, you know, the, the, the verb of the day was uh, a little stickier coverage um, by the, uh, by the back four or the back five. And, and that's what really started to 
caused Stafford to, to double clutch, to go to his second, third reads. That's when the pass rush started to hit home. And that's when Matt Stafford started to look like Matt Stafford instead of uh, Joe Montana back there. So I think that's a big deal. Um, and um, as you know, there should be opportunities to, to get um, Daniel, Daniel Jones in this game. He had a, a nice game uh, you know, in, in, in the second half. The first half was abysmal against the Cardinals for him and the Giants. They did nothing. The second half, he started to get on a roll. He spread the ball around. He hit Darren Waller quite a bit. And Waller, somebody uh, 49ers fans will remember last year when he was with the Raiders. Uh, I think he caught something like three uh, three balls for 72 yards and a touchdown. Had a nice game against the 49ers. He had a nice game against the Cardinals on Sunday. I mean, if you're, if you're looking for ways the 49ers could get uh, get damaged in this game, I'd say Darren Waller's one. And then, of course, Daniel Jones running the ball is another. And uh, you can easily envision, David, a scenario where he runs the ball, not sure whether you're gonna, he's going to slide, and then uh, Dre Greenlaw comes in and, and gets one of his uh, Dre Greenlaw personal foul penalties. Um, that's, that's not a hard thing to imagine. I don't think at this point, but I'm just trying to sort of concoct in my mind, uh, scenarios where the 49ers get behind the eight ball and they're not very many of them, but those are two that come to mind. Yeah. I think it's going to have to be that they struggle to defend the zone read. And this team did struggle to defend the zone read in the preseason week three against Max Duggan, rookie quarterback for the chargers in the second half. And Steve Wilkes, the 49ers defensive coordinator, went out and said after that game that they didn't prepare for the zone read because it was the preseason. So they were just working on other stuff. It wasn't a specific game plan. We'll see whether or not that was a mistake because they didn't really need to prepare for the zone read against Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh in week one. And they definitely didn't need to prepare for it for uh, in Matthew Stafford in week two. And now they have a short week. So... Uh, there hasn't been a lot of practice time, no real full speed practice time to get ready for the zone read against uh, Daniel Jones and the New York Giants. So maybe that was a miscalculation on Wilkes' part. Maybe they should have been looking ahead to this week three game in week three of the preseason. We'll find out. We will. Because I think that is the key. I think that's the one potential vulnerability. Uh, you look at the time to release for Daniel Jones, it is slow. The 49er, you look at the, the horrific play of the Giants offensive line so far, particularly at the guard and the right tackle spot. And you say, well, if the 49ers can stop the run and the run, a big component of that is the Daniel Jones zone read. They can stop the run. They can get in a position to where they could just tee off in this game. Now, the Giants don't have Saquon Barkley. They almost certainly won't have him, although Brian Dayball has been uh, conjuring up some fantasies of, of him playing. I think that's just to get the 49ers off the scent and maybe to force them to prepare for Saquon Barkley. But the the lead running back for the Giants is almost certainly going to be the former 49er Matt Breida. And between Breida and Daniel Jones, that, that's going to be New York's hope to try to defuse the 49ers pass rush with a run game. But if the 49ers stop that, Matt, they're playing this game on on their terms, and I don't I don't see another path to victory, an injury free path to victory for the Giants. Obviously, somebody could get hurt on the 49ers side, and that could throw things off. But as it stands right now on paper, stop the run and have some fun if you're the 49ers. That, by the way, I, that's not my quote. That's that's Arden Key's quote. Arden Key, I guess, used to say that if you stop the run, you're going to have some fun as a pass rusher. And I think Matt, the 49ers are in position uh, to have some fun on Thursday night. 
We got a question, and, and we encourage uh, questions if you're listening right now. Uh, this is from Travis P. Any update on BA's shoulder? Uh, just joining, sorry if you already covered it. We haven't covered it. Um, BA, of course, is Brandon Ayuk. Uh, he was out there for, I, I don't even want to call it a practice. It's a, it's a glorified uh, walkthrough uh, that they have on these short weeks. So it's hard to read because, uh, you know, they're basically just jogging around. Um, but he was out there. He You couldn't tell that he had a, a shoulder injury. certainly wasn't wearing a, a blue non-contact jersey. Uh, but it's it's hard to um, see him being 100% in this game if he does play. Uh, and, and that's basically what he did against the Rams, right? Right, you know, after that initial injury, like I said, I think it came on, on the first catch and he came off the field holding that shoulder then, came back in a couple plays later and then had another catch, went to the ground and was down for a longer time. And that's basically how it went the rest of the day for him um he and uh ronnie bell essentially split s- snaps from that point forth so um you know it's, it's up to the 49ers do you uh want to have a half speed iuk out there um or do you want to go with a rookie who hasn't gotten the target yet um but of course we did see what he could do in the preseason i'm sort of curious about ronnie bell uh, his most, uh, speaking of ex 49ers, you mentioned Matt Breida. Uh, Ronnie Bell's most significant play is one where he got tangled with, uh, Akella Witherspoon. <laughs> it was a very funny sequence. And, um, you know, Witherspoon basically was doing a, a big tough guy routine throughout that game. And he tried to do it with Ronnie Bell, who, who actually is a tough guy. And Bell just did a, a wonderful job of, uh, kind of uh, turning the other cheek and going back to the huddle, but it was kind of humorous that one guy wanted to uh, wanted to beef and the other one just uh, kind of put him on his butt, uh, blocking, and then went back to the huddle. Um, that's uh, that's the situation. Basically, it's a long. Uh, we have no idea. Um, it's going to be a game time decision for Ayuk, but um, like I said, I'm I'm curious to see what Bell could do. Yeah, Ronnie Bell, and I, I talked to him in the locker room yesterday about the, the play that was circling around on the internet where he, he upset uh, Akella Witherspoon against the Rams with the, the pancake block. And then he just jogged away from Akello after uh, Akello tried to get up in his face after he had to throw Bell off of him and try to get up in his face and Bell just jogged off. It reminded me a lot of uh, Juwan Jennings, who seems to get under the skin of opposing receivers uh to the tune of personal foul penalties so the 49ers would not mind ronnie bell following that path (laughs) because that seems to be a requirement actually the blocking part definitely seems to be a requirement for uh playing wide receiver with the 49ers two straight weeks where they put on master classes of perimeter blocking and yeah even if they don't have Brandon Ayuk, or if he's somewhat limited, the 49ers have a ton of other weapons matt and one of those weapons currently is on a historical pace Christian McCaffrey, uh, I mean, just on the raw rushing yard pace, he if he kept up what he's doing right now, he'd break Eric Dickerson's single-season rushing record. But that probably won't happen because Kyle Shanahan has been talking about tempering McCaffrey's usage with Elijah Mitchell, maybe even Jordan Mason, just so they can keep him fresh throughout the course of this season. Uh, that being said, the numbers are still completely astounding for McCaffrey, Matt, even beyond just the raw totals. The one that I like to look at because it really isolates blocking from 
um, or there's two stats that isolate blocking from actual running back performance. One is yards after contact. Christian McCaffrey on outside runs through two games already has 200 yards after contact. That's 88 more than any other NFL running back. And then this this stat's called rushing yards over expectation. It's very tied into rushing yards over contact, but it's a little bit more advanced. It uses the uh, NFL Next Gen Stats tracking data to gauge what an average running back would, would gain based on the situation. And, and it compares running backs against the average NFL running back. Christian McCaffrey is on pace through two games, Matt. How about this? For 833 rushing yards over expectation. Last year's leader in that category, Nick Chubb, was only at about 270 rushing yards over expectations for the whole season. So McCaffrey, if he continues what he's doing right now, would would be over 3x what Nick Chubb did to to lead the league last year. We don't expect this torrid of a pace to continue for Christian McCaffrey, but then again, back when I was covering him at Stanford in 2015, I didn't expect his torrid pace of all-purpose yards to continue, and he ended up with 3,861, breaking Barry Sanders' college record by over 600 yards. So anything is possible with this guy who, to me, has been even better than he was last year. And and when you ask Christian about it, it, it's because he firmly knows the playbook now, Matt. Yeah. And he's, uh, I mean, people were worried about his usage in the first two games and, you know, how he's going to feel coming into this game on a short week. I mean, this is a guy who keeps himself in top, top shape throughout the, throughout the year. Uh, so he said he was feeling good. Uh, he obviously looks like he's good. I mean, Eric Dickerson's record, I think, um, you know, injuries and, you know, tweaks and things like that are going to have obviously a a huge impact on it. Uh, Right now, though, he looks fantastic and he said he feels fantastic. So, um, you know, all all systems go on uh, on Eric Dickerson. You know, I we we went into the season and I, I, you know, was watching him catch so many passes in those uh, training camp practices that I thought, oh, I wonder whether a 1,000-1,000 season, his second, uh, is possible. And uh, over the first two games, I realized, oh, well, I think the 49ers being so good is is really the big uh, deterrent when it comes to the 1,000 receiving yards part of that. Because when he got it with the with the Panthers back in 2019, the Panthers weren't all that good. They were having to play catch up a lot in the second half. And so they were doing a lot of throwing to him. The fact that the 49ers have either been in a blowout game or a tight game uh, and, and mostly have had the lead in the second half, uh, meant I think means that there's, there's not as many passes. That, that could certainly change. But uh, right now, if we think that the 49ers are going to be as dominant as they've been through two games, it's going to be hard for him to uh, garner those yards. And, you know, those, those yards on the ground have come in large part because he's had two, two big breakaways, uh, 65-yarder against the, the Steelers, and then, what was it, 51 down, down the left sideline. Both have come on the left side. I think that's uh, uh, notable. Just about every big play that the 49ers have, have had so far ha- has been on the left side. I think they've got to be a little bit more ambidextrous um, they don't have Mike McGlinchey out there anymore. He was a fantastic run blocker, especially when it came to 
sort of that uh, that wide zone where he's making blocks almost to the sideline. Did that quite a bit. I'm not sure Colton McKivitz just has the wheels for that. So I think that that's uh, another kind of argument that says, you know, maybe he can't keep up this pace. I think teams will start to figure out, oh, <laughs> this 49ers team is, is running to, to one side only um, and uh, will we'll skew their defense there. So um, a lot of things going against him, but um, boy, it's been impressive so far. Absolutely. I mean, you, you look at the, the entire arsenal of, of weapons. It's it's wildly impressive for the 49ers, which is why I don't think they're sweating the availability of uh, Brandon Ayuk right now. They And again, if, if there's no opportunity for Ayuk to re-injure himself, if it's simply a discomfort slash pain management uh, situation, then, then there's no reason to not play him if, if he can't handle that pain. But still, if there is, uh, a risk then the 49ers are definitely in in a good position to uh just avoid that risk because it's not only McCaffrey it's also Debo Samuel who was fantastic against the Rams who's obviously we talked about it a lot is in great shape this year so it looks like that's translated into a little bit more explosiveness definitely more endurance for Debo Samuel. George Kittle has been really, really good as a blocker, especially for the 49ers this year. I mean, speaking of Debo, George uh, took out three defenders in one just kind of earthquake-like block against uh, the Rams that that sprung Debo Samuel for a touchdown. So you have that. You obviously still have some of the other weapons like Jawan Jennings. And, you know, maybe we should talk about him, Matt, because Jennings had two massive catches against the Rams won a 20 yarder on the drive that ended at the end of the first half with the Brock Purdy quarterback sneak as time expired. The 20 yarder really set the 49ers up there that plus the pass interference penalty against the Rams on the throw to Debo Samuel from Brock Purdy. Those were the two big plays prior to the quarterback sneak on that drive. But then in the second half, you know, everybody's talking right now about Brock Purdy uh, missing some of these deep shots. And yeah, he missed three of them, but I thought he, essentially connected on two. One, the the Debo Samuel pass interference, that was well done. That drew the flag that the 49ers needed at the end of the first half. And then his final deep attempt was was that pass to Jawan Jennings, 31 yards downfield, back shoulder. So, uh, A, two points. Purdy did hit on 20-plus yard throws in this game. To me, he went two for five, which you'll take. They obviously want to be better there. They don't want him to miss the three, but um, they, they did connect on on two of the five. And B, Jawan Jennings, his penchant for big catches continues. And he was money in the blocking game as well. They're assigning really difficult blocks to Jawan Jennings when he's coming in motion, which is tough because you've got, got to add the coordination to target up a defensive back or, or linebacker or whoever they're assigning you against. He even was charged with chipping Aaron Donald on the third and seven conversion where Donald was rushing against Colton McKibbitts and Purdy hung in there to find, uh, uh, to find Brandon Ayuk over the middle of the field. So, uh, you know, I, I just look at Juwan Jennings as kind of a, a jack of all trades for the 49ers. And uh, in a Thursday night game where teams typically are not as happy to be as, you know, physical as, as they were on Sunday just because of the short rest, I think Jawan Jennings could really be a battering ram in this game. I think this could be one where he has a big, big impact. Yeah, that's a good call. And, um, you know, George, George Kittle as well. I mean, it was Kittle and, and Jawan Jennings who were doing some really big blocking. I mentioned that 
51 yard uh, run by McCaffrey down the left side. Um, it was it was Jennings and Kittle that kind of initially sprung him down there. Uh, so that's a that's a great call. Um, Thursday night game. The the Giants have been on the the road for a couple of weeks. Uh, they they stayed in Arizona, uh, which makes sense uh, after the, their last week. But uh, you know it's been an extended road trip for them. So um, it, it could be something where uh, you just keep testing these guys over and over, and then in the second half uh, you start to see a little capitulation for them. Um, I'm glad you you brought up the uh, the long uh, Jennings catch down the sideline. It was the the second straight week that that Brock Purdy has basically thrown it up for one of his his receivers on a uh, back shoulder situation and basically trusted that they come down with it. And we didn't see that a lot uh, from Jimmy Garoppolo. We haven't seen that a lot in in, in many years, really, for from a a Forty Niners uh, quarterback. Um, but, uh, two weeks in a row, uh, two very successful plays where the receiver is, is basically in charge of, uh, you know, just wrestling the ball away from the defender. And, um, when you've got Juwan Jennings against a, what, 5'11 cornerback, that's, that's usually going to be a big win. So, um, yeah, that was, uh, I think I thought that that, that whole drive, I think there was a really good pass to Debo Samuel across the middle uh, where Brock Purdy had to drive the ball into a tight window and, and, and Samuel had to get low and um, kind of uh, take it in. Those were two very impressive passes where the 49ers really absolutely had to have them. Still a very tight game. They hadn't stopped the Rams on defense uh, to that point. So uh, that, uh, that to me was a, a critical drive. Uh, we got another question running back question from KDM. He says, TDP, uh, Ty Davis Price, continues not to be activated on game day, guessing it's due to pass pro issues, plus Mason, Jordan Mason, is better on special teams. Do you envision him getting any day uh, snaps in in the future, or will it only be if running back room has an injury? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't see them uh, kind of changing up um, the the order right now, I, I do think that Mason um, gets to be in uniform and Davis Price doesn't because Mason is basically uh, tried and true on, on special teams. And he also has been good at the end of games and we haven't seen him in that role yet. And he, and he should have come in probably in week one in Pittsburgh. Uh, but I, I think it's really special teams related. But if there were an injury, um, to either McCaffrey or to Elijah Mitchell, I still think that, and, and it, it's not a, a landslide on this, but I, I think that Ty Davis Price is the more impressive runner of the two between him and, and Jordan Mason. Um, just has a nice combination of uh, of power and, and quickness and speed. And uh, if there's ever an opportunity for him to sort of be the guy to get, you know, 12 or more carries a game, I, I think he could do real damage. I mean, he could be a guy that, um, you know, just kind of takes the league by storm. He's got that amount of running talent in him. Uh, the, the question is, are we ever going to get to that point? Uh, because he's he's down there on the depth chart. David, what, what, do, you, what do you think about the uh, Jordan Mason, Ty Davis Price uh, conundrum? 
Well, it's funny because Christian McCaffrey is just hogging so many of the carries right now that we're not even getting close to, to usage for those two guys, right? Because Elijah Mitchell's the next on the pecking order. He didn't get a carry this last game. So uh, it, running backs are always so tough for me to evaluate, and I think for the coaching staff to evaluate fully in training camp because you're not tackling live to the ground, and especially guys like TDP and, and Jordan Mason, you know, the big 220-plus-pound bruisers, uh, th- that's that's a huge part of their game, right? The ability to break tackles, and when they don't have a chance to exhibit that fully in training camp, it's tough to see who's going to be that that real gamer. And I know both of these guys have shown good running ability, especially after contact when they have had chances during games. More notably, probably Jordan Mason last year is the 49ers closer. That's what they called him, the closer or the finisher. Uh, but Ty Davis Price, I mean, you go back to the pre-ankle injury that was really early in the season. A couple runs against Seattle right before that high ankle sprain were really, really impressive. So ultimately, I think this is a marathon of a season. The 49ers played 20 in each of the past two years, 17-game regular season. Everybody's going to be needed. Everybody's going to have their chance. I think those chances should organically arise, although... Uh, I think the issue right now, Matt, is that Christian McCaffrey is just such a gravitational force in the 49ers pass game that it's just so tempting to leave him out there forever because he draws so much defensive attention. And I think that's something that has actually prevented the other running backs from getting some time is that McCaffrey is just so much of an impact maker out there that the 49ers are going to have to consciously take him off the field to make sure that not only does Christian McCaffrey stay fresh, but make sure that you're integrating some of these guys so they don't have to just go cold on the bench. And that's Elijah Mitchell, that's Ty Davis-Price, and that's Jordan Mason. And maybe the Thursday night game, Matt, gives the 49ers, uh, you know, kind of forces their hand here because Thursday night means people are sore. You don't want to overuse anybody. And so that lends itself to a natural opportunity to flex your depth at the running back position. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, McCaffrey has played virtually a, a full game each of the first two weeks, um, which was playing to the end in Los Angeles on Sunday. He didn't really accumulate that many snaps, though. Remember, the, the Rams dominated the time of possession in that game. So it's not like um, McCaffrey played a uh, really overtaxing type of game. I think he had 57 snaps. He actually had one more. 58 snaps uh, against Pittsburgh uh, the the previous week because, you know, of the opposite. Uh, The 49ers were the ones who dominated the time of possession. And uh, 58 snaps is high for him. I think the 49ers would, you know, if they had their druthers, they'd they'd keep it around 50, uh, 46 to 50. Uh, But 58 is certainly not out of the realm for him. Um, I, I looked it up. I think he had like 15 or 16 games um, with with the Panthers where he was either at that number or over that number. And I brought that up to him yesterday. And he said, those, I said, you, you had a lot of those types of games in 18 and 19. And his reaction was, yeah, it was a pretty good years, huh? <laughs> so he sort of likes it. Um, you know, uh, he, he likes the usage and certainly can handle the usage. Um, but obviously, to me, it's the end of game. Why expose this guy to uh, extra shots when the the defense is crowding the line of scrimmage anyway? It would seem like that would be Jordan Mason's specialty for him to be in there at that point. Um, we got a 
defensive type question from Noe T, who asks, any idea if Brian Burns, if a Brian Burns trade will happen by the deadline? Seems like the price for a half-season rental would be steep, but it could be the breakthrough for a Super Bowl victory. Yeah, I think it would be like an Emmanuel Sanders type of trade in, in 2019. It's just a half-season rental. I, I think it, for the Rams. Yeah, right. I, I, I mean, I think it would uh, uh, cost a, a first-round pick. I mean, uh, you know, this is a young guy. The the, the Panthers are rebuilding. They, they'd want to, to have that. But um, I think he's playing on his fifth-year option right now. So he's in the, in the final year of his deal, obviously has been unable to get an extension with Carolina. Um, now, I, I can't imagine that Carolina would, would want to let him go, but it might reach a point where they realize that they can't resign him to that point. Um, you know, the difference between him and Emmanuel Sanders is that Emmanuel Sanders was very much at the end of his career. This guy is still on his rookie contract. So um, he's somebody that you would want to build around. So it, it's hard to see them letting him go, but you know, obviously it's uh, they, they, they have not been able to come to an agreement. It's been very difficult between the two sides, and the, the Panthers may uh, say, okay, we can get a first-round pick, where, whereas it would be a, what, a third if they let him go uh, in, in free agency and they got a comp pick after that. So that, that's, a, that's a fairly big difference. I'd say it's a possibility. I'd say it's a a low possibility. David, uh, what are your thoughts about Brian Burns? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, talking to Jed York, I still remember at the owners' meetings, he was really excited that the 49ers were going to be fully stocked with draft picks again, which meant that they would be able to, they would maintain the option to make a big trade if an opportunity arose. And the question is, will such an opportunity arise? And, you know, when, if and when it does arise, well, the 49ers consider that to be the most pressing need on this defense. Because t- you said it earlier, pass rush has not been an issue for the 49ers so far this year. I know people on the outside look at the box score and they think that Nick Bosa hasn't been good or something, but he's been one of the top three defensive players in football through through two weeks. And it's, it's not, you know, sacks aren't going to solely determine this. The sacks will come once opposing quarterbacks have to hold on to the ball a little bit longer and the deficiencies for the 49ers were more on the back end in week two than they were along the defensive line there in the first half against the Rams. So uh, anyway, that's to say that if there's a steep cost and somebody like Brian Burns is is available, but but Drake Jackson is still dominating for the 49ers and Nick Bosa's dominating and Hargrave's dominating, maybe uh, their resources would be better spent for a nickelback or somebody in the secondary, right? So you just have to let these things play out organically. Everybody's chomping at the bit to just want to pick up big names, big names, big names. But you've got to look to see where the needs are and you actually have to see who's available. You know, it's not going to be like a video game where you could just uh, propose a trade to the Carolina Panthers and, uh, you know, make turn off all the settings where they where they reject trades and and they have to take it. It it just doesn't work that way in the NFL. So I think it's going to be a little bit more nuanced than that looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. We got one from uh, Mick S. here. He says, uh, any thoughts on when Anthony Brown would see the field? Anthony Brown is the the cornerback, the uh, ex-Dallas Cowboy that they signed um, earlier this week. And um, what's interesting about him is that he tore his Achilles, I think, in week 13. So we're talking December of last season. And um, he didn't spend any uh, – he wasn't with a team during the spring or in training camp. I think he got picked up by the Steelers on, I want to say, August 30 and was on their practice squad until – very recently when they cut him from the practice squad. So to me, the question is, you know, what, what kind of shape is this guy in? Um, and uh, John Lynch was on KNBR today and he said something to that, that effect as well, that they've got to kind of uh, figure out uh, how much he can handle physically at this point. But um, it, it, to me, that's it's a bit of a, I guess, it, I guess it was always a, a leap of faith when you're, signing a, a veteran i think he turns 30 uh this year um that um you know c- can he hold up uh, all that stuff and 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 maybe the the risk reward with him was was worth it for them to shine him um kind of give them the the opportunity to see where he is because if he is back if he is kind of physically capable this is a guy that has a lot of experience and as you noted yesterday david he's he's played both on the outside and at uh at nickel and so you would have an experienced nickel you'd have two experienced nickel uh on this team now with uh isaiah oliver uh being the other and, and to me that's always been the um a really important factor at that spot nickel uh, it seems like the guys who are good at that have just kind of been around the block. They know what's going on in the defense. Um, they know how to communicate. Um, they've seen every scenario. So it could end up being a big uh, uh, signing that, that pays dividends. seems like uh, anytime there are injuries uh, to a team, they always happen at the same position. And cornerback seems to be that position this year for the 49ers. And it wasn't all that deep to begin with, or at least wasn't all that experienced to begin with. So um, they're vulnerable at that spot. But this guy, Anthony Brown, might be a, uh, a nice signing in, in late September. Yeah, I mean, he, again, you know, like you said, he's an experienced name. Anybody who could stick with a team, especially with a team like the Cowboys, who, who were playing some good defense there for several straight years, he was with them from 2016 to 2022. And, and started for a lot of that time. Uh, there's, there's something good there. He had four interceptions in 2021, four interceptions and, and 12 pass breakups. The thing is that he is coming off that Achilles injury. So it's a roll of the dice, but at this point, it's, it's impossible to find 
perfect players on the the free agent market or on other teams' practice squads that you can poach. They poached him off of the Pittsburgh Steelers practice squad. So it, it's good football players are on 53-man rosters right now. We talk about Brian Burns. Yeah, the, the Panthers would have to be willing to trade him. So you're always going to be acquiring somebody with an asterisk at this point of the season if it's for free. And the 49ers, I think, gets a minimum contract for somebody like Anthony Brown. But uh, they absolutely should be looking to fortify that defensive backfield because, as you said, that is a position of concern for the 49ers. Now, they did get a nice step up from Isaiah Oliver against the Rams. He made three huge plays. The tackle of Kyron Williams in space to stop the Rams on third down. That forced a punt that I thought really helped stymie momentum of L.A. Offensive momentum is huge for them in the first half. Took that Isaiah Oliver stop to really turn things around. And then Oliver, he had his head on a swivel. He was ready to go on the interception. It bounced off of Williams' hand. And, you know, people will – I've seen a lot of, like, accusations thrown the 49ers way. Oh, they got lucky in the second half. And, I, you know, I don't think those people understand probability and how probability works, you know, with the Rams' game plan in that game. They, they were afraid of the 49ers' pass rush, so we talked about it. They were going quick release, quick release, quick release, short game, short game, short game. If you can limit yards after the catch, that means that there won't be explosive plays in the short game. And if there aren't explosive plays, it's going to take 15 play drives with perfect execution uh, to, to score the football. And if you have to, if you're asking your offense to deliver several straight 15 play drives, well, that turns into 30 plays, 45 plays, 60 plays. At a certain point, that's a lot of plays that you have to string together without making a mistake. And probability dictates that over a large enough sample of plays, there's a high chance of an error, of a giveaway. And that's exactly what happened in this game against the Rams. The 49ers, despite the fact that it, it, their coverage alignments weren't great in the first half and Matthew Stafford was playing really well and he was moving the ball downfield, despite that, the 49ers kept the explosives in front of them and set themselves up to be beneficiaries of when the Rams did finally blink. And they did blink when Kyron Williams dropped that pass, and Isaiah Oliver was ready to, to pounce on it. So I consider that to be a great play. I consider that to be a product of the way that this game flowed. You have to credit the 49ers for, for that turnover as well. you got to credit Isaiah Oliver, and you have to credit him for sealing the game with the fourth down run blitz um, there at the end. And that stopped the Rams, and three plays later, Isaiah Oliver had helped uh, really spearhead an entire turnaround effort, which to me is really big just in the larger picture, Matt, because uh, we covered the whole Oliver saga throughout training camp. Free agent acquisition lost his firm hold on the starting spot, but still turned around by week two to deliver massive contributions. I think that's a good sign for his trajectory here in the 2023 season. Yeah, the, uh, th those two plays that you just mentioned were – uh, very prominent. Uh, the one that Steve Wilkes brought up was uh, his third down stop um, on on the sideline. Um, I think that forced the, the the Rams' first punt of the game. That came in the, in the third quarter, which kind of uh, illustrates how well the the Rams' offense had been had been moving. Um, and uh, Oliver said it, he was actually out of position on that play. He should have been deeper, but um, he realized that if he had been deeper, he probably wouldn't have gotten to. I think it was Kyron Williams again um, at the sideline before the sticks. Uh, so, I mean, uh, uh, there was luck involved, but um, there was a confidence that he had at the end of that game. 
that I think was lacking throughout the offseason and probably through week one as well. And it's something where he sort of got it going. Um, as kind of counterintuitive as it sounds, the fact that you know the Rams were 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 moving like they did, the defense was behind the eight ball. That sort of jolted uh, Isaiah Oliver into the rhythm that he had lacked to this point, and and to a lesser extent, or or maybe to a similar extent, you could say the same thing for Nick Bosa, um, a guy who played something like sixty three snaps in that game. Which you know, on paper, it seems like oh, that's bad. Going especially going into a short week. Bosa's take was that it took that game, all those reps that he had, all those pass rush reps that he had, to sort of make up for the fact that he missed all of the uh, off season and training camp. And and so that game, uh, according to him, or theoretically, kind of got him into the groove as well. We'll we'll have to see whether that holds true, but. Uh, that that was their take uh, afterwards. Um, we've got a, a Wilkes question from Sam P. How do you expect Wilkes to tailor the defense this week to account for Daniel Jones' rushing ability? We, we talked a, a little bit about that earlier, um, and uh, David noted that it's uh, a short week. Uh, there's not a lot of time to prepare for it. And uh, Wilkes has said that something that they didn't really work on in the off season either. I mean, uh, uh, in, in a, a typical Trey Lance year, the last two years, the, the 49ers defense would have gotten a lot of snaps against that type of runner. Um, however, you know, my, my thought, David, is that it, this was a big deal. And I want to say it was the 2020 season. It was the last time they went to New York and played Daniel Jones. There were a lot of mobile quarterbacks that they faced that year. And um, the, the 49ers had trouble with each of them. And um, uh, I, the, the takeaway uh, back then was that this defense, as good as it is in the system, as um, effective as it's been, just doesn't match up very well against the read, the zone read, because it's so aggressive and that, you know, you're, you're committing very early in a play uh, one way or the other. And so it'll it's a it's a great test of uh, Steve Wilkes. Can Steve Wilkes succeed where Robert Sala and D'Amico Ryan's uh, couldn't? Which was kind of figuring out a way, as Sam notes, to tailor this system to that particular play. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know, especially early on, we're learning so much about Steve Wilkes and his style and how it meshes with what the 49ers have, have done since Sala and, and since D'Amico Ryan. So this early part of the season to me, Matt, is just so interesting because, I mean, well, just last week we saw Wilkes make halftime adjustments that were very impressive and, and very effective. And, and we'll learn more about that process and more about the exotic coverage looks that he talked about and more about his blitz rate. I mean, the 49ers blitz 5% of the time in the first half against the Rams is feeling things out. 30% of the time in the second half with Fred Warner bringing some of that heat up the middle. So, you know, how Wilkes responds to, to everything right now to me is fascinating because it's new. And this is an example of a veteran defensive coordinator being plugged into a veteran defense, which wasn't the case before. Robert Sala and D'Amico Ryans were both rookie defensive coordinators 
And Robert Sala had to build defense from the ground up. Ryan's then inherited a, a really good defense already. But but this is a fundamentally different situation with a veteran defensive coordinator, a guy who's specialized on the back end, right, taking over rush over coverage unit, Matt. So both are important, rush over coverage and coverage over rush. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we should note that as we've been talking, the, the Giants have ruled out uh, both Saquon Barkley, which was expected, and also their left tackle, Andrew Thomas, for the upcoming game. So uh, <laughs> I think Nick Bosa was thinking that this, this week might be the week where he sort of uh, gets his sack count going again. And so this development uh, suggests uh, he might be on to something here. Um, uh, Giants uh, weren't great against the pass rush in week one. I thought they were a little bit better against the Cardinals, certainly uh, in the second half. But, uh, David, this development suggests that uh, they're going to be hard-pressed to protect uh, Daniel Jones on Thursday. Yeah, and and (laughs) I'd already filed my article, and now I'm I'm messaging Jimmy, our our editor. Can can I add this Andrew Thomas news? (laughs) Because this is a line that gave up 39 pressures to the Cowboys. They really struggled there, and now their best offensive lineman and, and their left tackle um, is going to be out of this football game. So this is going to be brutal, I think, for, for the Giants. Again, they're going to have to have success running the football because if it comes down to mono-mono pass protection, they don't have the capability. Daniel Jones doesn't have the capability to do what Matthew Stafford did as far as the quick game. Matthew Stafford is one of the best in football when it comes to that with the different arm angles and uh, just his command of, of Sean McVay's offense. That was a uniquely Rams approach that the, the Rams and very few other teams could have executed against the 49ers last week. And even that didn't ultimately work, right? I mean, even that ultimately ended up uh, uh, being something the 49ers were able to prey on late in the game. So uh, it, it's just trouble for the Giants. It really is. They, they uh, I'll say it right now, they absolutely must run the football effectively with former 49er Matt Breida and with with Daniel Jones, the the zone read is their only legitimate path to winning this game. I'll go ahead and put it out there, Matt. That's uh, I, I do not see an, uh, a path for the for the for the Giants if if that doesn't work for them. So again, there's a reason the 49ers are favored by as much as they're favored in this game. And I'll even say this: if the 49ers are truly legitimate contenders, which which I think they they are. Uh, they'll, they'll work the Giants in this game. The, the Cowboys beat them 40 to nothing. I'm not expecting that because it takes some fluky stuff for a team to win by that much in the NFL. But I do think that a, a handy 49ers victory, a significant win, is, is something that is necessary for them to be on the track that, that they think that they are, that they say that they're on this season. Well, the uh, 49ers beat them 36 to nine in that game. And, uh, the Meadowlands uh, a few years ago. So maybe that's uh, closer to what it's going to be. Well, let's talk about our predictions. Uh, uh, I will note that last week, or before the Rams game, rather, I predicted a 30 to 20 49ers win. And boy, I would have had it if Sean McVay hadn't gone after that Points a dumb <laughs> field goal at the end. I think he was doing it just to, just to spite me. It felt like it because it was kind of useless otherwise well it covered the spread oh uh, right yeah it definitely yeah. covered the spread yeah well that was crazy and, and but it's I a think 10 point spread today too right what was that 
It's a 10-point spread for this game as well? I think, yeah, I think it grew to 10.5 once it looked no, like 10 half in play. So, yeah, it's going to be right around there. But I was just like looking at that dumbfounded. Now, maybe some of the tiebreaker scenarios involve point differential, but that would be really, really obscure for it to reach that. So McVeigh could probably hide behind that as his reason. But I, I'm going to file it under he was just trying to, to screw over your, your prediction. <laughs> that makes that makes more sense. Well, I, you know, I, I I just sent you my prediction for your your column that runs uh, that runs tomorrow, and I picked the same score, thirty to twenty. So uh, one of these days, I'm going to be right, and this is going to be a thirty to twenty game. Um, I just don't. It's so hard to predict blowouts in this league because uh, it it rarely kind of uh, you know does a team sort of uh, roll over like that. Or can you expect them to? But uh, that's that's what I'm going with. Um, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong in the sense that uh, I think the 49ers will maybe score a little bit more and the defense will dominate a little bit more. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm i 35-17 in this game. I do think that the 49ers will, will win this game handily, and I, as they should. And, you know, it's a Thursday night game that they don't have to travel across country to play. That's... That's significant, too. The Giants have had to travel. They've been out on the West Coast for a while. They played Arizona last week. They stayed out here. So um, it's just one of those where I, I fully expect the 49ers to be 4-0 entering a showdown against the 4-0 Dallas Cowboys in Week 5. That's the way, this is lining up, so we'll see, if, uh, we'll see if that holds true. All right. Well, that sounds good. Um, we will be back at you uh, next week. In advance of the Cardinals, uh, you and I both watched the Cardinals this week. Cardinals versus Giants. That was a, a tale of two halves. And uh, uh, that ought to be a 49ers win as well. But uh, we'll get to the details of that next week. Sounds great, Matt. We'll talk to everybody soon. This has been the live room that turns into the Here's the Catch podcast. Everybody enjoy the game on Thursday night. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.